Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 63 days of the English football season remain. 15 fixtures minimum. There could be up to 19, which would make it a game and astonishing every 3.3 days on average. So, you know what time it is. It's the business end of the season, the back end of the season, a home straight, and let's have it. A very warm welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast midway through this March international break. Thank you for joining us. I'm Harry Robinson and Jack Tate is with me as always. And we're looking forward to getting the focus back um, on club football and on the next couple of months previewing our next game against Newcastle and answering questions from our patrons. Before all of that, let's chat a bit about where we've been over the last week or so because I was at Old Trafford, um, a first weekend off in many, many weeks and I somehow ended up back there, uh, but it was a pleasure to, to be there. And Jack, you were getting a more unique, well, more unique for us as, as Englishmen experience in footballing Europe. How was it? Yeah, it was great. Um, you obviously played some of the sound in the last episode. Yeah, I was lucky enough to go and see Borussia Dortmund a couple of weeks ago against FC Köln. It, it was a great experience, honestly. It reminded me a lot of uh, some of the conversations we've had in the past about how f- football culture, especially the way that fans act inside stadiums while a game is going on, just differs a lot. You talked about in your experience in South America, how it's very much kind of almost separate from what's happening in the game, whereas in England, it's really yeah. reactive to the game. Germany felt like it fell somewhere in the middle of, of those two. Right. That's interesting because I, this has been one of my great frustrations of, I said, this is the most, I, I say this accepting the a monumental privilege it is to get to watch Manchester United play in Europe. But one of the frustrations I think for travelling United fans has been with the recent European draws, especially post-COVID is so dominated by Spain. Cyprus and Moldova were brilliant. Uh, you had Atalanta, which was, was great fun. Young boys, fans, England-based fans couldn't really go because of certain rules over COVID. But we've been longing for a draw against Germany because for the newer generation of travelling United fans, me included, I've not been to see United play in Germany and I have seen them play in Spain several times over the last few years. But all of those Spanish cities have been brilliant. So it's it's nothing to complain about, but it would be amazing to get to see United play in Germany because it is, yeah, it's such a different culture, but one with more similarities to some similarities to English football. I'm always wary of saying it's that similar because the history of German football is so different from English football, partly because of their own country's history, but also just in a way like in terms of business that people always talk about. And I, uh, me included about the 50 plus one and how it'd be amazing to echo that or mimic it in English football. But the reality is that that's always been the case in Germany. It's a thing of tradition and history. Whereas English football has always been about, since about 1890, has always been about businessmen running clubs and they've always had a little bit of personal motive. We'll talk about United's ownership in a bit, actually, but um, what about... Uh, <laughs> that That shows in the stadium too, honestly. You go in and it's, well, outside the ground, there's, there's plenty of little stalls set up and get food for a couple of euros inside the stadium. It's like four yeah. euros for a beer. 
you know, it's just, it is just a really different yeah. experience. You know, Old Trafford, cheapest beer in the league, it must be said. Yeah, it's not, I've got to say, it, especially having lived in the US for a while, it, that makes prices in England look really cheap. Yeah. Over here, in this, you go to a stadium, it's like, you're paying like $15 for like a play. A but again, game, basically. that reflects, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but my instinct would be that reflects what football has been yeah, created yeah. for in the US in that it's never been the the product of those teams are franchises. They're not uh, the product of a factory or a church or an education institute as, as English football teams primarily. There's very few that weren't founded like that. Chelsea are one, Liverpool's another, but the majority of them were work teams or factory teams or church teams. United being a, a railway works, Manchester City being from a, a church. So it's... And and that meant, yeah, the whole experience was for those people. Whereas I guess in the US, it's it the whole thing has always kind of been a business. Yeah, and obviously the and the team and the crowd up, as well. Surely has never been that working. Right, class. and and the teams have always been set up much more intentionally and and kind of artificially here in a way that they haven't in the UK. Obviously, like you said, a lot apart of, from MK Don. Yeah, yeah, apart from MK Don, <laughs> but a lot of professional teams now, you know, like you said, grew out of kind of working class grassroots teams that. Are, Still to this day, you can see a lot of the similarities. If if you just look at any sort of random, you know, Sunday league, uh, Sunday league league, that doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Sunday or Saturday yeah, yeah, league yeah. around the country at amateur level, there's still a lot of teams that are related to either professions or churches or you know certain little neighbourhoods here and there. It's yeah. just a very different kind of history of how sports were changed. I've, in in Germany, I've got to say, I've got to give a quick mention to the the FC Köln fans as well, who were unbelievable. Obviously, Dortmund is famous for its atmosphere. The yellow wall, I was sitting the other end of the ground opposite. It was a brilliant spectacle. The yellow wall definitely lived up to expectations, but the Cone fans were unbelievable. Get bearing in mind, they mm. lost this game 6-1, Cone, against... <laughs> they're not huge rivals with Dortmund, but Cologne as a city isn't far away from Near Dortmund enough, at yeah. all. And yet, you know, every single... There wasn't a single Cone fan that left the stadium. They were honestly making more noise than the Dortmund fans throughout the game. They had flares and fireworks going off the entire time. It, yeah, it was... Uh, they, they were honestly a real unexpected kind of part of the game. It got chatting to some of them afterwards as well, which was a lot of fun. And I think the other thing that I really noticed with German football, it was, and this is probably partially to do with the way that it's sort of pleased as well, but the whole event felt a lot less antagonistic than English football can between the, the different groups of fans. Right. So traveling to and from the game, all the fans were mingling together. There was no sign of any sort of trouble or any kind of, want to be sort of this like really separate like tribal parts but then when you get in the stadium it was the same amount of like passion and vigour and supporting that you get anywhere in England really it's an interesting yeah. difference I guess the caveat the, the caveat to that is German ultras groups are uh, have maintained much more significance yeah. than any yeah. English firms actually funnily, funnily enough I mentioned you mentioned the ultras when we got talking to some Cone fans after the game all they wanted to talk about was this new little group of Arsenal fans that have started calling Ashburn, themselves as well. They were so excited that someone else outside of Germany still had, you know, some kind of ultras group. Yeah. I get it all links back to the, the point you were making earlier that English football fan culture is all about responding to what happens on the pitch. And I think if you separate uh, that from your fan experience, it's much easier to mingle with the opposition and have it less antagonistic. Yeah. I I wouldn't swap it. English fan culture, but it's also interesting the point you said about 
fans staying, which used to be a thing of a source of pride for United's travelling support. But we've seen in the last couple of years at City and Anfield, United fans leave early and they are obviously well within their rights to do so. They've paid to be there. But I know there is a bit of a rift within United's away support at those who leave such games early when you're 6-0 down at Anfield and those who think it's a, a responsibility to meet the level of privilege it is to get to be at Anfield and watch United and stick around and, and support the team till the end. It's it's interesting. I, uh, going back to what we were saying earlier about the difference between England and the US, it made me think it's a it's such an interesting parallel to draw with uh, the women's game in England because, for example, United women are, it, it's such a unique kind of way to bring in a, a support group because United and United women's support is still separated. There are, I'm pretty sure almost everyone who supports United women will support United men. Um, but there are some exceptions, I think, and it's more about the lack of history of that fan culture and the fact that, again, United women are created for business purposes, like an American football team, unlike Manchester United or unlike a German team. It's fascinating. And it was uh, their second match at Old Trafford this season, fourth in total, and a, a very good win against West Ham, 4-0. Slightly dull and not amazing first half performance um, and then switched it on it, for m- many parts of the second half. Led initially through a penalty that Katie Zellum scored shortly after half time and then the third goal in particular was a really nice, nicely worked goal. Lucia Garcia got two, Katie Zellum the one with the penalty and Martha Thomas the other. Uh, Garcia and Martha Thomas both off the bench to score. I was It was the first one I've been to for, there's been three others at Old Trafford, one was during COVID and then the two others, there was one I was I actually had a ticket for and then couldn't go to, which was a real shame earlier this season. And then, yeah, it was it was good fun. It wasn't the biggest crowd. It felt very strange not sitting in my normal area of the ground. I was <laughs> sat directly opposite, so I was in. I was just to the right of J stand, uh, so the other corner to Stratford and right side. Um, yeah, it's it's. It's so weird how much of a difference that makes to your experience. Having to be sat down as well made me register exactly how little leg room there is at Old Trafford. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I've sat down at half time before, but I'm pretty sure the area that I sit in has a little bit more leg room. The, this part of the ground was, I mean, incredibly uncomfortable. Um, Where, yeah. What part of the ground were you in this time? Just to the right of J Stan, so kind of in line with the goal at East Stand, opposite of Stretford End. Right. Um, in the uh, in the North Stand. Yeah, it was very different. But it was, yeah, it was a good day. Well, it's just an- yet another kind of reminder, isn't it? Just how kind of old a lot of Old Trafford is yeah. and remains to be, which is something we'll probably come on to later in the episode. Yeah. It was... It, but the, uh, I mean, the performance from the women's team was, was really, really good. And obviously, Man City beating Chelsea... Yeah, massive the, result. ...the next day... You know, or I know it was earlier that day, wasn't it? Just blew the. No, it, yeah, it was the next day. Open. Yeah, it was uh, that our game was on Saturday, and City Chelsea was uh, Sunday. Yeah, but it means United are top of the league. So City are now City now on thirty eight as well. Yeah, United yeah. and City level on thirty eight with the same number of games played. Chelsea have a game in hand on thirty seven points, and I think Arsenal. I'm about to check this, but I'm pretty sure Arsenal on thirty five. And I, with one game played fewer yeah. as well. And, and so there is there is a scenario in which all four teams, it's it requires a lot to happen, <laughs> but there are six games left of the season. 
for United, seven games left for Chelsea and Arsenal. It's not completely beyond the realms of possibility that all four teams will either be on the same number of points or within two or three points of each other on the final day of the season, which would be the most incredible <laughs> end to a football season. Because not only would it mean four teams competing for the title, if they're all within three points of each other, it would mean one of them also miss out on Champions League because only three teams qualify for the Champions League. So it'd have just, you could be favourites going into the, for the title going into the final day and not qualify for the Champions League. It's a, it would be a mouthwatering prospect. And the final day of the WSL season has been moved because originally it clashed with the final day of the Premier League season. It's now been moved to the Saturday. So the women's league will end on Saturday, 27th of May and the men's Premier League will end on Sunday, 28th of May. So it could be an amazing weekend. United play Liverpool in the and there's final match of the some, season. Some massive games in the run-in too. United, I think I'm pretty sure we play uh, Man City and Arsenal in the yeah. run-in. Arsenal play Man City, United, and Chelsea. Yeah. I think Chelsea play Arsenal and Man City. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot, a lot of twists and turns from here because not only, like you say, is there a, they're all extremely close, close together at the moment. At the moment, but they can directly take points off of one another as well over the next few weeks. Yeah, I also found it really interesting. I went with uh, a quite a mixed group. Uh, a couple of kind of hardcore uh, Reds supporting the men's team and a couple of people who very rarely go to football matches have been to a couple ever and a couple of men's football fans who have watched very little of women's football and it's really interesting kind of gauging opinions and it was clear that those who had watched very little of women's football pointed out a couple of players Ona Batier, Ella Toon, Alessia Russo and I think one said Leah Golton as well in saying they like stood out as proper, genuine class and that the rest of the game, there were moments where he thought this is quite poor. Um, and I found it interesting to get that opinion from those who hadn't seen much of the game before and those who watched very little football, how much did they notice? The thing they really noticed was the atmosphere rather than the quality of play, which didn't surprise me because I think if you don't go to football very much, who cares really what happens on the pitch? It's more about the experience. But it was quite, it was interesting to be able to get all those different opinions at once. But yeah, good day at Old Trafford. Slightly smaller crowd than in December and for the first game at Old Trafford. I think to be expected, I think would have helped if it had been, if this second game at Old Trafford within a few months had been against City or Liverpool or Arsenal or Chelsea. Um, but yeah, it was still good. Good turnout. I think it ended up being 20, 21,000 officially around that number. Um, but yeah, a great win and yeah. If you've never watched the women's game, there's going to be some properly exciting fixtures coming up. United's next one uh, will be this weekend. Let me just check if it's on any TV channel. It's away at Brighton. It'll be on the FA player, which you can sign up for free. That might just be radio commentary. I can't remember. Anyway, yeah. Uh, let's have uh, first guess the player clue. Is a very brief reminder. There's three clues. The quicker you get it, the more points you get. Jack is setting the clue this week for me. And can we have clue number one? Yeah, the first one is short and sweet this week. So clue number one is I'm one of very few players to have played both for United and in the Chinese Super League. Oh, wow. Uh, first thought is Marwan Fellaini, but I'm not going to go with that yet. Um, yeah, I'll just let things fester. I'm sure there are a few other players, but he was my instinctive reaction. But yeah, I'll wait till your second clue, which we'll have after we look ahead at the... Kind of the rest of the season, a bit of an open section. 
let's let's start with ownership because I was thinking what are the things that are going to define the rest of the United season and it's easy to think oh the Europa League the FA Cup and and what we do in the Premier League whether we finish top four let's have it right it's going to be what happens with the ownership Um, as much as I do not want it to be as much as it depresses me to say that it's a really interesting situation in which my main conclusion is that still no one really has any idea what's going on that the process is being done quite messily there, there are genuine and uh, well-reasoned concerns that the Glazers aren't looking to sell the club. If that's the case, the number of bridges they've burned in doing so would seem incredible. Um, it's it's all a strange situation. What are your thoughts going into it? There's an, an interesting interview with Thomas Silakus, the Finnish investor who came in very last minute. Uh, he's done an interview with the United We Stands podcast, which I recommend listening to. It's just interesting for various facts about Finnish football and uh, Finnish footballers against Manchester United as well as uh, this guy's thoughts. He speaks a very good game, hearing fairly decent things about him, but it it seems very unlikely he'll be able to challenge the kind of two favourites at the moment in Jim Ratcliffe and Sheikh Yassim. Well, let's not say Sheikh Yassim, it's Qatar. Anyway, what are your thoughts? Well, I think the biggest one, you mentioned it there, is just I think without knowing so many of the details, the biggest thing that just stands out is how poorly it's being run. And you can tell that, the biggest way you can tell that honestly is from the way it's been reported in the media. Because normally, obviously these things kind of happen behind closed doors. They're not going to publicise, you know, every single piece of information. But normally the media are briefed so intentionally and so precisely so that they get certain stories out and with certain angles on them. And even the reporting that's been happening from from Sky Sports and other journalists all around the UK has been an absolute farce. It's been so messy. On the Wednesday, when the initial deadline was set for bids to come in, we had the initial report that Sheikh Jassim had put the bid in and that Jim Ratcliffe had then missed the deadline. Then 15 minutes later, we heard there were no bids reported. Then half an hour after that, it was reported that Jim Ratcliffe had requested an extension and then 20 minutes later, we found out both have requested an extension or both been granted an extension. I think that is probably the biggest indicator that you can find that it's this is it's been a very messy process so far. I think, you yeah. know, obviously out of those, the two favourites, I think my loyalty is very much like with Jim Ratcliffe and wanting the bid to go down, wanted United's ownership to go down that route. But I am massively worried about the potential for this to all have been kind of a stalking horse for the Glazers to get United's stock price up and sell a small minority stake to someone like the Elliott Group that has reportedly put in a bid for minority ownership just to try and raise some money to spend on Old Trafford so they still don't have to put any of their own money in but can get kind of the best price for that minority stake. That is still a big worry for me. And, and you know, the Elliott Group are famous for seeing football clubs very much as, you know, they, they are a bit, basically a venture capital firm and that's yeah. kind of how they see football clubs Strip being the run. assets. Yeah, and, and obviously that is the exact thing that we were hoping that we would get rid of by selling the club. So I think that has to remain a massive, massive worry. Yeah. Let's see what happens. I I think the the thing about reporting is interesting and it's, it's the fact that these are sports journalists who have sources all throughout the game, but those sources that will be an agent or an agent's brother or player or player's brother or dad or mum or auntie or whatever, or a kit man or physio or an analyst, whatever they're suddenly having to find sources who can verify very 
disclosed financial information. It's a completely different thing. And and so when the story ultimately does break, you would expect it to come from a financial journalist because that is the most likely. Um, but yeah, it, it does make for baffling I think that reading. also goes back to, I think that also goes back to the Rain Group as well. The bank are kind of overseeing the sale on behalf of mm. the Glazers. Because you look, you kind of contrast this with what was happening during the Chelsea sale, which I know was very different because it was more coordinated because it had to happen in a very quick timeline because of everything that was going on with Roman Abramovich at the time. But, you know, that was so controlled in, in terms of who was putting bids in, what information was being let out to the public. It was very clear which bidders were the preferred bidders and everything like that. The Rain Group yeah, really should the be the ones, is- from a media point of view, should be the ones kind of controlling this story and it, it feels like it's really run out of control. Yeah, but the key thing for them is the more the story goes, the higher the price goes. So we're saying it's badly run, but from their perspective, I imagine they're going, this is brilliant. The The amount of thing, the, the amount of stories it's generating and the competitiveness it's driving between the interested parties is, I can't imagine anything but a good thing for the rain group, unless it happens, it, it uh, turns out that the Glazers won't be selling the majority stake. Because if that happens, you would think the reputation of all involved will be burned significantly. But I imagine they're going, thinking this is all going pretty well for them as the price gets higher and higher. That will defy things. And as a couple of my mates have said over the last few weeks, when we've had good moments, you've got to enjoy these moments because we don't know what's coming next. And there are a chance that these are the last months where you can be What's the word? Unapologetically proud of what United are doing, I think. And there is a possibility that in a few months, some of you might be able to do that. Fine. It's a game of opinions and life is about opinions. But I won't, if if Qatar or the owners of Manchester United, I won't be able to be unapologetically proud of what the club are doing. So yeah, we'll enjoy it for now. Are we going to be able to enjoy it? It's the thing. Uh, injuries, suspensions, a lot of games coming up but possibly successful last couple of months? I think so. I'm listening to the episode that you recorded when I was in uh, Germany and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head in saying that, you know, performances have massively dropped off over the last month, let's say. We've still managed to grind out some some pretty good results and I think that will probably be the name of the game for the rest of the season. The international break came at a pretty good time, actually, and probably with the exception of Bruno Fernandes, there, you know, a lot of United players got some well, much needed rest. Casemiro has played, but obviously has been rest, kind of getting a rest anyway because of his domestic suspension. And been suspension. made captain, at least for now, because Brazil only have an interim manager, but been made captain of Brazil, which is lovely. Yeah, and scored on his first, in his first game as captain, I believe, the other day as well. Well deserved for a man we all deeply love. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Luke Shaw and Bruno Fernandes were the two I was worried about in terms of not getting rest. Bruno has played a lot of minutes, but Luke Shaw obviously got sent off as well, which was quite timely yeah, from great, a United point of view. Great work from him. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's come at a good time. A lot of key players have been getting some rest. You, you'd hope that coming out of this international break, we can improve our form a little bit. But I mean, the games are just going to keep coming left and right. I would be, I'd be very shocked if United were playing, you know, brilliant football from now until the end of the season. I, th- I think it is going to be a slog. Yeah. Painful but successful is something I will absolutely take. I think that's kind of the best I'm hoping for. Yeah. What's What's the worst case? Not that you think it's going to happen. I guess it's dropping out of the top four and going out by the competitions with a load of injuries. Yeah. Are you, and I mean, yeah. I, I, go on. I think the worst case scenario is probably you lose to Newcastle this weekend. 
which I think puts, would put us level on points. Yeah. And then, you know, Spurs somehow get their act together with Christian Cellini in place instead of Antonio Conte and Liverpool also do the same. And that, yeah, you know, I think that's really been the biggest disappointment. The Liverpool defeat and the draw to Southampton have really dragged us back into this top four fight when we had some breathing yeah. space a few weeks ago. Because, you know, if we had that breathing space still, that would give us the opportunity to maybe rotate a few players in the Premier League. If we had to, you know, really focus on the Europa League and the FA Cup, as it is, we can't really do that. One of those two cup competitions might suffer as a result. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I was thinking about, what what kind of our expectations should be, some opportunities here for Polistri. Garnacho being injured is a, a real negative because of how much he was given to the team and just that kind of diversity in in ability in the side. Um, great that Rashford can get some rest, but Polistri you think will be coming in. You'd expect Kobe Miney to get a few more appearances before the end of the season. I was trying to think about any other young players who might get their kind of first opportunity because obviously Miney and Garnacho and Polistri have got theirs. This would be a continuation rather than a start. Zidane Iqbal's po- a possibility in these final few months, but Christian Eriksen coming back We'll see. I don't think Ericsson will be back for Newcastle, but it's exciting that he might be back at all in the next couple of weeks and it'll be, yeah, it'll be really, really good. Yeah, ended up coming back much quicker than expected as well, which has been great. Yeah, I think we'll. it, it still could be, I think, a week or two, but let's see. Maybe he'll, he'll suddenly have a great week. Yeah. As an aside, quickly, I was scrolling through Twitter when I woke up this morning and I saw from, from the United Twitter account, they posted something saying, Ranić issue, issues Sabitza injury up yeah. and I was so confused reading that because at first as I was scrolling up all I saw was the, the headline I was like hang on it, what? It's not, <laughs> it's, it's not 2022 anymore has, has Ten Hag all been a dream? Yeah. You've just woken up yeah God that'd be depressing okay let's, let's have a couple of bold predictions uh, finishing we'll do Premier League finish then how far we'll get in each of the competitions I'm going third if we win this weekend third so not Ah, that's a cop out. Third, I mean, I would still say third is the most likely position with will finish. Okay, yeah. Uh, Europa League, then we'll win the Europa League and lose to City in the FA Cup final. I, I'm i also more confident actually about the Europa League than the FA Cup, even though we're a lot closer to winning the FA Cup yeah. in terms of matches left to go. I think we'll lose to Brighton in the semi-final and I think we'll win the Europa League. Yeah, I'm just thinking, would I rather lose to Brighton or City? <laughs> Because like you, th- you think the obvious answer is you'd rather go out to Brighton, avoid the final and like the horrible experience of losing to City. But actually, would you want that? Because the buzz of beating Brighton would be, would be great. I don't know the answer to that, but that would be a brilliant, brilliant season. I guess. I guess another alternative which, in, in a in a vacuum, which competition would you rather win, the Europa League or the FA Cup? Forget, forget who uh, would be playing the Europa the League because Budapest. Yeah, I agree. Having especially having won the League Cup this season. But also the Europa League is very, very difficult to win, especially when you finish second in a group. So it's a genuine achievement. And yeah, it's, it, it, yeah, I think it adds more to that, to your confidence level than the FA Cup would. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So I was dreaming the other day about kind of what it would be like to win a European trophy in Budapest in May and slash start of June. It would be <laughs> pretty incredible. <laughs> I was actually chatting to an Arsenal fan about this recently that the Europa League is a kind of an odd competition because he was making the point that if you're finishing outside the top four, you'd rather just finish like seventh or eighth and not even get in the Europa League. Nah. And it's an odd competition because 
it is one that you don't really care about until you get to like the last 16 quarterfinal. And, and at this point, like we, we made this point a, f- a few weeks ago when we forgot about the 20, uh, 20, uh, the Villarreal final yeah. in 2021 that, you know, how many, you know, there have been so few occasions that a club as, gr- as great and as big as United have made any European yeah. final. And when it becomes in touch and distance, I don't care what, to, to be honest, it could be the conference league and it would still be a big deal. It's still fun. That's kind of that's the point of football. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't just focus on two competitions because you're going to win them very rarely. Um, but also I think, yeah, I think it. Dep- I think if I wasn't going to uh, European aways, I would be very disillusioned with the Europa League group stages in particular and all the way through. So the ones that, the one that I had to miss in Real Betis, it, it did feel not that big. I think it's the fact the for me going to the games makes it a much bigger deal because it's like every a, a whole holiday is riding on this. Um, that's not to say everyone will be the same. There'll be some people who watch at home and treat it in a similar fashion to say the FA Cup or the League Cup. But certainly for me, I feel. Whereas I think if you're watching the Champions League, it doesn't matter whether you're going or not. It feels big, um, which isn't so surprising. I think the middle ground when we're talking about best case and worst case, best case is probably that painful but successful. Worst cases drop out the top four, don't win either competition. A middle ground is echo or mimic 2017 in winning the League Cup and Europa League, but dropping down the table, which would be a really interesting, what that would do for kind of the reputation of the season. Yeah. And then I guess the flip side is or you finish third and, win, and don't win either trophy. Yeah. I think I'd rather win the Europa and finish sixth. As, as a fan, 100%. I, like, I think as an objective measure, I think you could say finishing third and not winning either trophy is arguably a sign of United, United yeah. being a better team than finishing fifth and winning both the Europa League and the FA I Cup. Agree, but yeah. as a fan... Hundred percent, you'd rather win both the yeah. trophies. The only thing, it. the only important thing about finishing third is keeping one or both of Newcastle out of the top four. Because, as I've said before, you can delay Newcastle's yeah. progress a bit if they finish fifth or sixth. And I'm concerned that there's all this noise about Liverpool not having the money for Jude Bellingham. But what if they make the Champions League spots? Does that change things? So that's my other concern. Uh, we better move on. Guess the player clue two, please. I've got two names in my head now. Who are, who are the two? One is Fellaini still, I'm guessing. And the other is Tevez. Is the other uh, ex-United player who I know played in the Chinese Super League. I'm hoping there's not a really random one. I, I wonder, I'm now wondering if, if Odin Agarlo played for played in China. He must have done some, If we Yeah, we got him from Shanghai. So, all right, I've got three names in my head. <laughs> okay, so second clue is I played under five different managers at Manchester United. Five, wow. All right, that rules Tevez out. Let's work. It rules Igalo out because that was just so so. Did Fellaini get a full five? Signed for David Moyes, played under Van Gaal, Mourinho, Solskjaer. And I guess Giggs interim was, I think is probably included in that. Um, Okay. I mean, I've given my thoughts. Do you want to give, that would be my guess. Do you want to give clue three in case people have a different idea in their head and that they're right and I'm actually wrong? Yeah, go on. This will give it away anyway. So I was brought to United in the same summer as my manager from my previous club also joined United. Okay, yeah. I'll have Marwan Fellaini, please. <laughs> yeah, it is, of course, Fellaini. A single Marwan. Igalo was the one that I thought you would think about straight away because he obviously came directly from 
Shanghai to United. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know why I thought of Fellaini straight away. I think uh, he's been there longer and he is a more significant player. It's partly because those COVID years have a lot. I've realised now that at the time they seemed very significant, but I, we remember in the yeah, other day that we yeah. lost 6-1 to Spurs. So much of that time period has been just completely wiped from my memory. At the time, it felt so big because there was nothing else to do in life yeah. <laughs> except kind of work or for me, a mixture of work, university, and then watch football because you couldn't leave the house. It f- th- those games felt like everything. But now I look back on them and I don't really remember any of them. Yeah, it was it was such an odd period. Like even the, you know, the uh, unbeaten away record that we got is just completely bogus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Let's go into a uh, patron Q&A where we've got uh, two really interesting, que- well, actually kind of more than two, but interesting questions. One on the top three moments of the season and another from Michael Byatz who says, are you worried about a hangover like Liverpool experience this year after playing so many games this season? Tied into a few other questions about rotation and uh, transfers in the summer. So let's dive into that. If you're interested in hearing it, you can sign up to become a patron for as little as pound fifty a month and you get early release ad-free episodes with a bonus Q&A on every uh, Monday evening slash Tuesday morning episode. So if you're interested, go check it out. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, let's uh, just coming out the Patreon. Q&A, a really interesting, yeah, some some fun discussion on the best moments this season and on uh, my plans for United's next European away with Sevilla and about Martial and the beat Maguire, what they're worth and about prioritising for the rest of the season and a potential hangover next year. Um, yeah, good questions. Let's talk about Newcastle. We'll, we'll do a full loan roundup next week because we haven't got loads of time now. My biggest hope, I'll say, for this game is for Jadon Sancho to score. If Jadon Sancho can score and United can win and Sancho can start this back end of the season in flying form, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Because I was just thinking, we coming out of the Patreon conversation about kind of Martial a bit. You think, imagine how much, Ericsson is, is coming back is huge, but imagine having an in-form Martial and Sancho for this back end of the season as well. The whole prospect of rotation would change really, wouldn't it? I mean, Sancho is the big one because... It's it's a genuine possibility. Yeah, like Sancho is now really the primary cover for both left wing and number 10. And so he becomes massively important because, you know, we were just talking in the Patreon Q&A that, you know, Shaw, Bruno Fernandes and Rashford are really the three players that you expect not to be rotated really at all. And with Garnacho out, that makes rotating Rashford even harder Sancho now is the only option to play on the left. He can play at number 10 occasionally as well. 
you know, Anthony throughout the season has had a few niggles here and there, has ended up missing a few games at quite regular intervals. So you think that's likely might happen again at some point this season, which could mean Bruno needed to start on the right or Sancho on the right and Bruno stays at number 10. If a, an informed Sancho would, would make all the difference, as would Martial, obviously, as we've been saying all season, but it's, is he actually fit now or is he still, is he still out? I, I, I've completely lost track of all of his injuries. No, uh, Martial, I don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Feels like we're barely even getting updates on him because everyone's just sort of assuming that he's not fit all the time. Yeah, I mean, he was training in the weeks up to the international break, so you hope right. so. Well, I mean, I mean, if he if he could come back, that would completely transform how we look at the end of the season. Not only because it allows us a bit more flexibility with rotation, but I think it's completely unarguable that we are a better team with him in, in, at his best than Veghorst, but. It, yeah, it's just such a tenuous. Like you just have absolutely no faith it's going to last. Yeah, yeah. Even if he can just play one game, one in every three games, that'd be massive. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think Sancho's a big one for Newcastle. Casemiro suspended. Sabitz are potentially injured, as we uh, alluded to earlier. Garnacho injured. Players coming back. Rashford's back in training. Should be fit. I doubt Ericsson will be fit for this one. There's all sorts going on, isn't there? It's it's one of the hardest games, this first one out after the international break and to do it away at Newcastle. Uh, I'm not very confident of a victory, even though it would, be, it would be massive, if so, because of all these problems and the fact it's away at, at where Newcastle have a really good record. But a draw seems more likely. Well, I think as United, you'd probably take a draw, to be honest, given where the table is. You know, Newcastle, yeah. I think, have a five-point gap back to Liverpool. So... You're probably looking at this point as the last two spots come down to United, Spurs and Newcastle. Spurs have played two games more than us and Newcastle. So I think you take a draw here and you'd probably run quite happily, to be honest. Anything more than that is a is a bonus. I, I think we, avoiding defeat is really the name of the game because a loss here, I think that puts Newcastle, well, they'll probably go above us because I'm assuming they have better goal difference than we do because our goal difference is atrocious. So I think they would go above us. We would have played the same number of games you know, that is, a, a, that, that's just a risk that we don't want to have to run. You know, we do not want to have to fully rely on the Europa League for the rest yeah. of the season. You'd still back us probably, given that we have those two games in hand against Spurs. But at this point in the season, with how many games we have left and the injuries piling up, you'd much rather have those points on the board than have to rely on getting two wins in those two yeah. games in hand over yeah. Spurs. I'm not quite ready for United to return, but I will be in a couple of days. Um yeah, as I said earlier, the first first couple of weeks off in ages and I found myself back at Old Trafford for United women. It did feel <laughs> a little surreal. I, I think the, the big concern in this game is is definitely going to be in midfield because yeah. I was just thinking as I was talking then, I you know, you'd sort of be okay with a similar sort of game to what we saw in the League Cup final, but we obviously don't have Casemiro to make that work. And yeah. so with a likely midfield of Fred and McTominay, assuming that Sabitza is, is out, you know, that isn't that isn't the kind of team that's set up to play quite a quite a slow you know stop start game where you kind of take the sting out of the occasion. That is a team set up to really mm. go hell for leather for however long we can muster it. But you just wonder if that is that kind of game is in these players' legs at the moment. I guess the thing we've seen a bit more recently is I, it seems it would seem very brave, possibly stupidly brave, away at Newcastle to play Fernandez in that midfield too, with one of Fred and McTominay. Fred for kind of disruptive nature, McTominay for a bit more physicality, and then have a 
and then play Sancho at 10, Anthony on the right. Poss- yeah, possibly Sancho at 10 or Veghorst at 10 or or even, uh, that's kind of, that's possible. I guess changing to a three at the back is probably beyond beyond belief given what we've seen so far this season. But I guess the brave decision, if he's not comfortable with Fred McTominay, would be Fernandez, Sancho and I'd guess Fred, but I don't know for sure. McTominay scored two in six minutes for Scotland um, off the bench during the international break, which was a surprise to say the least. Um, but yeah, interesting. Yeah. Are you confident? What What would you predict? I would predict a... I think United are really going to have to hang on for various parts of this game. I, th- I think we'll get a one-all draw. I, yeah, I think I take that in my current mood. On the other hand, the sun's shining, so I should cheer up a little bit um, <laughs> and, and hope for a 2-1. But yeah, it's difficult because they were really bad at Wembley. I don't think we were that good. You kind of mentioned the Casemiro being key to that. And I think he was. And for a lot of that game, we we weren't hanging on, but we also weren't weren't kind of putting on a display, a real display. So I guess that game's a bit of an anomaly being a final and at Wembley. Um, but yeah, 1-1 draw. I think I'll probably go with you as well. 1-1. Interesting. I mean, their, their form their form recently hasn't been great. They did win the last two games, but before that they were really struggling for goals. Yeah, you just think they might be a bit so refreshed. You, you, yeah, yeah. Post, post break. Anyway, yeah, let's cheer up. In, in the Patriot q we were discussing our best moments this season and we were asked to pick our top three and we struggled between seven or eight for a long time. So yeah, that's a more it's happy a note season, to end It's been yeah, a been lot long, of games, yeah. a lot of moments. After Conte got sacked, the, um, the, there was a video going around of him and Tuchel having their like handshake and then- Was that this season? Stamford Bridge. Yeah, I can't, cannot believe that was wow. this season. Wow. I'm just banging my head against the microphone. <laughs> I am, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think, and yeah, we needed this international break as much as the players. Um, but yeah, as yeah. I said, I'm not quite ready for United's return yet. I absolutely will be by Sunday. It will be, once the excitement builds this end of the season, it is so exciting. United, I mean, compare this to last year. Yeah, yeah. When we had nothing to play for. United are in with a shout of finishing, should finish our favourites to finish third in the Premier League. Are probably favourites to win the Europa League. I don't actually know the odds on that, but I would kind of put us as favourites were we not in so many other competitions and favourites to reach the FA Cup final um, it's yeah it's exciting can't wait for Jack's thoughts throughout the week on Twitter you can find him on Twitter at at UTD Tate T-A-I-T you can find me at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod that's P-O-D at the end there if you've enjoyed the show please leave us a review or share it with your mates otherwise have a brilliant week goodbye Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.